Hello and welcome to the Pro Grace Podcast, having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley and I am in Phoenix today. It's gorgeous actually with um, my good friend, Danae Pierre, who's the executive director of Surge Network and is also on the board of City to City North America. Good to see you, Danae. To be here. Yeah. And also, for the very first time, I was able to meet Tyler Johnson, lead pastor of Redemption Arizona. But I've heard tons about you, Tyler, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this issue. It's great to be with you. Nothing like meeting for the first time and then deciding to talk about abortion. Why not? An obvious first conversation. (laughs) Right. And that's the whole point of this podcast is just to break the ice and help us all have new conversations. So, right, if we can do this on the first meeting and not get into a knockdown, drag out fight. Everybody can do it, right? That's right. We're already friends. <laughs> I know. We come, well, I live in your hometown, so. You do. You do. I'm Love jealous. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here today. Much warmer here than in Colorado today. So um, would love to hear why you both, and you both work together. I should say that as we start. T- tell me your relationship with Surge, where you guys work together in the leadership of that. They're yeah, pointing so at each other. Good. You both Redemption, are different. Yeah, yeah. Redemption Church is a part of the Surge Network and was one of the founding churches okay. um, in the Surge Network. And Danae is the executive director of it. So we have nine congregations throughout the state of Arizona, and all of our pastors, in a very real way, follow Danae's lead in mm-hmm. a lot of the grander mission conversations, which get down to the grassroots level of healthy churches. That's great. That's great. And we're going to talk about your working relationship later because I've been observing from afar for almost three years. I've known you, Danae. I would love to hear that. But first, I want to hear why you guys wanted to have a new conversation about abortion or where this all started. And I think it starts with you, Danae. Three years ago, Mm -hmm. you did a Google search. Yeah, I think it was about about maybe about four years ago. Oh, was it even longer? Because you came to Arizona three years ago. That's right. right. So you found us before that. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I think just even, you know, so I'm also a pastor's wife. So we're, we planted a church in downtown Phoenix and, um, you know, just sitting between different generations and watching, um, how polarized Mm -hmm. the topic is. And so part of me Googled one day, in response to a young uh, adult in our church who had kind of had a very flippant attitude about abortion um, as it just not really being a real pressing issue related to all the other issues happening in our city. Uh, Meanwhile, I come from a very conservative evangelical family that I grew up going to the, you know, March for Life rallies Mm -hmm. and um, had just, yeah, lots of feelings and experiences where I deeply care about babies and children and the most vulnerable, but also felt unsettled by some of the tactics and Mm -hmm. things that we personally engaged in. And so part of my initial, I think I Googled abortion a third way, was just thinking through as our churches were um, seeking to grow in love of neighbor, um, it is really essential that we did not play into the kind of polarized nature that our political parties hand us on the Mm -hmm. issue and say, okay, we're going to start talking about racial reconciliation and love of the poor and welcoming the immigrants and being welcome to refugee, a welcoming presence refugees. That's not at the expense of also caring about um, women facing uh, pregnancy and decisions and, and the life of babies. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was probably the thought process behind it. And yeah. then I don't even remember where I came across a video that you were in and I, I emailed you and, I know. You, and you called me like crazy. the next day. I know. So grace wasn't even a thing yet, but yeah. yeah, God was doing that. Now I'm curious um, before we go on, what was it in that young person's comment 
that made you search abortion third way? Because you didn't search like abortion, how to hammer it harder or make people care. Like what was what was in that conversation that made you look for that? Yeah, I think part of it is I really resonate with um, whether it's young adults in the church or a lot of my friends who don't follow Christ with their visceral reaction mm-hmm. to the conversation. Um, I appreciate I have female friends who had abortions. I have friends who've had unplanned pregnancies. Um, I've worked with a lot of birth moms in the foster care system. So I appreciate the, the feeling that um, ends up getting um, translated into these really narrow political positions um, that, that kind of just kind of dehumanize the whole, mm-hmm. the, pe- the people involved mm-hmm. in, the, in the situation. So um, I think part of it was I do empathize with some of the questions that were being asked. Um, but the response was not, you know, what, whatever we're looking at when it comes to loving our neighbors has to be in a way that Jesus would love our neighbors, mm-hmm. not um, looking, going from one extreme to the other. Right. Um, there has to be a, a way in which we are approaching, because they're not just issues, they're people. So we're approaching people um, that are consistent with how Jesus would if he were walking the earth today. Yeah. So good. And then you guys work closely together, obviously. Was it Danae that kind of brought you into this conversation, Tyler? Or had you been thinking this on your own? I know you're passionate about Common Ground, but what's kind of been your journey in wanting to have a new conversation about abortion in the church? Well, very specifically regarding pro-grace, yes, Danae brought uh, me into it and us into the conversation. But I do think there was a significant appetite. Mm-hmm. So in in me, but also that was coming out of relationships that Danae and I had already had and just relationships we were having in the city at large. So it mm-hmm. really does come down to just a deep conviction that a culture of life matters. Mm-hmm. And we really all over, um, just when you experience real life, but then also the language of the Bible, there's a constant contrast of death and life, and life being the way of God, and God coming to bring life. So we are strongly convicted that Mm -hmm. life does begin in the womb, and we want to protect life at all levels. But if it's at all levels, um, just on this issue alone, it means all people, and Mm -hmm. all the people that are involved in the midst of this. And so... For us, it was very much that and trying to make a difference. There's a famous statement that asks the question, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Oh, that's and good. And a lot of this conversation feels like people walk away feeling like they've done their job if they've made a point. Mm. But if the question is, we want to make a difference, mm-hmm. which means we want to see hearts changed, then this whole question of methodology uh, comes up. And I don't think methodology really gets down to some brand new strategy as much as it does come down to what Danae just said of seeing past the issues that culture may present us and seeing the people that are involved, but every person that's mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. yeah. I'd also say, you know, both of our families separately have, have had adoption in our lives and then our churches have really pressed in. Your on immediate adoption. families, yeah. both of you, yeah, right? So Tyler yeah. and Haley have adopted and we've adopted. Mm-hmm. And so I remember pretty, maybe a year into being an adoptive mom, um, being in a conversation with um, some people who are talking about abortion and talking about um, birth mothers and adoption. And I just remember thinking, I w- so want the church to be the kind of place where my kids would hear about their own birth mother or would hear about conversations that might seem to represent someone that their mom might have been in those shoes mm-hmm. and, 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 and appreciate the pain and suffering she was in 
and her story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think part of, too, even the ways that we've engaged. So Tyler has been part of um, founding an organization called AZ-127, which has helped the church mobilize on foster care and Mm -hmm. adoption. But even I would say the way it's been different in Phoenix, even um, to some other friends I have in other cities, has been the focus on, like, this is a holistic conversation. So the birth families, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles of origin really matter. Mm -hmm. And so just that womb to the tomb perspective has to translate into how we're discipling our church members Mm -hmm. to really think about this holistically. Yeah. So can you guys, because I think the foster care issue is an interesting intersection here. And what you're talking about is honoring the birth parents, right? And honoring, and I don't know if you see this, I'm just going to put this out there. It seems like it's easier for us to care about kids, whether it's a child who's not yet born or a child in the foster system. When it gets to parents, the parents that we maybe don't agree with all their decisions, it can get a little harder. Do you guys see that? Do you think that's part of why we struggle in the abortion conversation? Like, what what are your thoughts with that? I certainly think that's very true in the church. I think as you get out, it's amazing how the methodology or which side of the debate, it seems like if you take it along partisan lines, typically people from the left may focus more on the marginalized communities where people on the right may focus more on kids. And I think this Mm -hmm. is a a generalization, but I think it's a generalization because it's generally true, (laughs) is that if the, the right really is focusing on family and marriage, kids become a part of that. And where families and marriages break down, they're not very good at. I mean, I think I'd even say at times terrible Mm -hmm. at that. Mm -hmm. And the other side is really thinking, uh, why are these people in these situations? And for myself, and I believe Danae as well, being brought into this conversation is just saying, if we're following a God whom humans are made in the image of, we have to care about all of those groups um, in the midst of it, not just one of them. Yeah. And I would also say even part of it is it's easy. So it's easy to identify with a child because we we have children right. and we're around children or we have nieces and nephews. Um, it can be really hard to identify with someone who's facing a crisis mm-hmm. or a pain point you haven't faced. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of why redemption, even when we talked on the phone and I was telling you it was happening in Phoenix, um, and I said, come test your idea here <laughs> yeah. because I think it'll work. Yeah. Part of it was because they, there had already been years of work done with helping our church members think about birth families through a, through the lens of Jesus, mm-hmm. as opposed to our cultural lens, it tends to um, demonize poverty or see it as this um, greater sin or this sin yeah. choice. Um, and so I think part of why you've seen the door open so fast here mm-hmm. has been because the work was already done to say the, the mom, the dad, the grandparents, like this whole system matters. We can't mm-hmm. just pluck children out of a family and randomly put them somewhere else. There's, right. They're part of a story. That, that's God-ordained. Yes. And I love that you guys are talking. I love that you talked about, you know, one set of politics may focus on one group of marginalized people, the other on another group. And Jesus says yes to all of it. So how have you done that? How have you helped the redemption congregations, the churches that you work with with Surge? What have you done to help people see with different eyes, you know, marginalized groups that they're maybe not hearing in the political group that they're part of either side, right? How are you expanding their view of the kingdom of the gospel in this? 
Well, I would start just by saying I think it's really multifaceted, but um, the best way to get somebody to see a human is to do everything you can to get them to actually see the human. And so a lot of times that's tell stories Mm -hmm. that are actual stories and try to create creative ways to tell the story. But the best way to tell a story is in person. So there's examples we have of things called neighbor's tables where we're bringing people to an actual table to listen to each other's stories. And that's crossing worldview boundaries, which could be religious, it could be social commitments, um, different political visions or racial or ethnic, economic, and just getting them to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing, especially the closer you are in proximity to the person, how humanization just speaks without a word. It's just you can't deny, like I'm sitting here and you walk away going, they're actually a good person, or you have an insight that you mm-hmm. otherwise didn't have. I've, I've seen nothing disrupt people, which I don't mean fully bring them to the point of full understanding in one shot, but I see them wrestle when they're in person yeah. with people, unlike anything I've ever ever experienced. So we, we try to have a lot of environments where those things happen. So you intentionally create that in the community then, you're saying, and you bring your church members in. What do you advertise it as a forum or something? How do you get folks to come? You just say, we're going to have this conversation. Yeah. So you, you try to talk immediately about um, everything from whatever the terminology you want to use, tribalization. Mm -hmm. There's a term that um, there's a woman here named Melissa Gear. And the first time I ever heard the term was, she said, you can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. (laughs) Which seems so simple, but let's stop in this polarized even political environment, we've done that, right? We we group ourselves into like-minded friend groups, and we may not even know someone yep. who thinks differently on an issue. And that's just very true inside churches. And so it's not hard to go, hey, Jesus said the great greatest commandment is to love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. Yeah. So in the end, if you're saying, I don't like these people, but no, don't know them, right. let's be honest, you're being disobedient to the greatest commandment. Right. So immediately, it's not to shame them into that, but it's to say, we're calling you into something. And then I think the other side of why people say yes is just sheer curiosity. They want to know why the and church sometimes, is. <laughs> some, yeah, it's sheer curiosity of sometimes it could be, well, that could be really interesting. Right. I do think where you're getting at is, I don't know if I want to say more true, but it's equally as true as they're trying to ensure that you haven't gone liberal you know so i've got oh, okay. i've got a congregation like, comes yeah sure. i think people show okay. up like well yeah. what are they doing you right. wouldn't possibly interact with people like this unless you were compromising what you believed oh, right and so when you can model you know there's language that we use of you know in a society so the big language would be principled pluralism so pluralism is a reality. A lot of times people in the church, especially if it's more conservative church, will hear the terminology pluralism and they'll think that's compromise. Like you're saying all beliefs are equal. Okay. And I'll always say, we don't, redemption does not believe that. So we do believe that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Um, these statements that the Bible has, we believe that. But pluralism is not, we're not saying we agree with that as a worldview. We do agree that as a reality. There are Muslims, there there are atheists, there are agnostics. Like so the issue is how do we live together? And we would say principled part of pluralism is you live inside your convictions fully. And Mm -hmm. so it's why we would advocate to say, regardless of what we believe, we believe a a flourishing good society is a society that fights for people to have the right to believe what they believe and to live inside their convictions. But if it's a pluralistic society, we have to learn to live together in that. 
And we think that's very consistent with the ways of Jesus. And so we want to have people here. And even if part of your view, which mine would be, is evangelism or sharing the beliefs you hold, if you believe they'd make society better, there has to be a platform for that as well. So it's so a lot of times what you're modeling for people in those moments, they show up going, are you going to compromise? You're modeling love as much as you are your convictions. Mm. Yeah, I think the principle pluralism, the neighbor's table has just been such a huge tool of discipleship, um, where people are sitting in an environment, sometimes multiple times, getting to experience these new relationships and be pastored and led through it. Um, So I think part of it has been even helping pastors really have a vision for different ways to do discipleship. Mm -hmm. And the neighbor's table is one of those. Another one that Tyler um, and a few other pastors, when they were creating the surgical curriculum, just began to lay out these BLESS rhythms where we ask, it's an acronym called BLESS, um, and it's like, there's, I think the the B stands for bless someone like Mm. you, someone not like you, Mm. um, listen to God and neighbor, eat a meal with with a Christ follower and someone not like you. Um, So there's, there's these different rhythms, even this idea of how we talk about spiritual formation. Um, Tyler's done a great job of talking about how that tends to be, you know, one-on-one, you know, you and Jesus in the Bible in the corner with a cup of coffee, um, which is necessary. We need that time, but giving pastors tangible tools to think about how they're helping equip their church members to move towards neighbor, mm-hmm. neighbor love. And so some of it has just been these intentional practices we've woven into our rhythms together. And we've had several thousand people go through surgical at this point wow. where it's for over the last 10 years, it's become just very normal in our churches to have some of this shared language and intentionality um, that over time you begin to see greater love of neighbor. Yeah. And understanding, so this is so much, my journey is, you know, you can have a view on the abortion issue, but if we've never talked to someone who either views the issue differently than us or has experienced either an unplanned pregnancy or an abortion, it's just a theoretical view. And I found that God was putting me in these conversations, which is why we want to have this podcast where I was sitting across from someone who viewed the issue very differently than me. And I was constantly praying because it is a big issue, you know, and I was like, Lord, and I found myself, I am I was afraid, like, am I going to lose my convictions talking to someone who views it so differently? And I just don't think that's the Jesus way. Like, I, I feel like he was trying to grow me up in him. Like, no, I'm, I'm bigger. You know, I'm the Holy Spirit. What happens when I have the conversation is I see my neighbor, to use your language, and I understand maybe why they had an abortion or why they view this issue differently. So I don't change how I fundamentally believe, but I love your point. It humanizes the other person. And I just think that's a lot of what Jesus did, right? He saw people. And I just want every pastor to grab what you guys are saying, because I think this would be an amazing exercise for pastors to use. I don't know, just to teach us to to see like Jesus did. Well, and the hard thing is, or I guess the sad thing is, it's, it's all over the church. And so even part of our original conversation was just knowing how many men and women in our church yeah. have had abortions. And there's so much shame. Even when we did our first event, I was surprised. We I had multiple people reach out to tell me that they had participated in an abortion. After um, they came to the event? Um, just advertising it. Even there was three you- different people who reached out to me just to share that they had had an, a history of abortion and they'd never just told seeing you this before. it on social media mm. that we were doing the wow. event. And so even leading up to that event that we did three years mm. ago in Phoenix was just this sorrow of knowing there's 
women in the church, men feeling this weight of shame Mm -hmm. and you can't experience healing if you can't confess and receive um, grace and mercy from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the, 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 the nature of the conversation being so political dislocates it from real people Mm -hmm. and our churches are full of men and women who face this or who children, whose children have. Um, And that just, that even the desire for our church to be a place where we can live in the open with Mm -hmm. the things that um, we've experienced, we've done, and that we would be able to know how to hear and receive someone's story. Yeah, that's so good. So yeah, even the way we frame the conversation makes people feel they can be safe, right, to talk about this. So let's talk about the common ground piece, because I know that, Tyler, that's big on your heart. And, And how have you seen that pave the way in this issue or others, trying to find common ground, you know, like Danae said, opening up so people can come and say, this is my experience. How is that making the church safer? Yeah, I think it's um, the minute you understand that your experiences and life choices for good or bad shaped you where you are. So your choices and the choices other people made upon you Mm -hmm. make you who you are today. So it's not just the narrative that you got here by yourself positively (laughs) is just not even biblical. So there's the statement Paul makes of what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? Mm -hmm. And so there's just a massive lack of biblical understanding and therefore what I believe is humility to say, if I'm in a good place here today, I didn't get here on my own, Mm -hmm. that I've been given things. And it's amazing to me in the history of kind of the Christian faith, when I say the history of it, but specifically the last handful of decades, the amount of time people spent on the positive effects of the family. So we're talking the billions of dollars have been spent on ministries trying to preserve the power of a positive family, a positive familial experience, family experience. But then they check out and don't apply that to then well, what about the people that had bad family right. experiences? And then they really don't go to the level of, well, why did they have bad family experiences? Right. And if that's if that's true in the end, you really create I mean, you, the terminology of common ground, but even inside our churches, the ways in which the number of women who've had abortions or men who contributed and even encouraged other women to have abor- abortions, um, the minute you can begin to talk about the ministry, you have grace, fundamentally, this idea of being pro-grace in that moment makes everybody just go, this is who we are. We just did a series here at Redemption Gilbert where we're sitting right now called This Is Us and kind of a play mm-hmm. on the um, the TV show, mm-hmm. but it was basically, the idea was to go, we're just going to get up and honestly talk about this is who we are, fact of the matter, who we are. And all of us have encountered various things. So we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with depression. We struggle with the science of God. We struggle with shame over the decisions we've mm-hmm. made and things that have been done to us. And I don't think we've ever done a series that got more attention from our congregants to just go, just the acknowledgement to go, we know you're there and we're all together in mm. this. And people yeah. just went, oh my gosh, like that is so real. This is where we really are. So I think the minute you start again, to use the terminology humanizing, which just means the recognition of the humanity, which means Mm -hmm. the challenge of the human experience, the complexity of the human experience, the reality that, like Paul said, we do things we wish we didn't have done. There are things done to us that we wish didn't happen to us. The minute you just talk like that, Mm -hmm. 
it's so real to people because it's real to their experience that it allows you to have far better conversations, which in turn means you can love people far better, which is what Jesus called us to do. Right. And what, what were some of the responses you got from the congregants when you're talking about that? Like, how did you see that open doors? You know, what were... Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I, I somewhat hesitate because I don't want to be this guy, but you really did hear a lot. This is the first time I've heard this talked about in the church. Wow. Like just be like th- with that level of raw honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, first time I've ever heard it talked about in the church. Uh, we heard other things just talk about how hope giving it was, mm. you know, to say there's was, recognition okay. so of this, right. um, just an acknowledgement that yeah. this is here. I mean, there's a lot of hope and there's way beyond Christianity, tons of experiences and research that when people know they're not alone, that yeah. other people are there, it just gives them a lot of hope. Well, they got through it. I can get through it without having somebody go, here's how I got through it. Here's right. the 12 things I did, but just, wow, they're still here and they're still running and they went through this as well. So, so it was a lot of stuff quiet, like that. If the church is quiet, then people think I'm the only one. Is that kind of the natural? Yeah, I think on that issue, on that issue, it. those issues for sure. If you're yeah. quiet, they think I'm isolated and I'm only yeah. only one. Or if you're quiet, they go, "Well, this is certainly not the place to I talk about." I can't it. bring right. my yeah, it's anxiety. Not, it's my... not normalized. Yeah, mm, so good, so healing. Okay, well, I want to talk about um, a topic, and you guys are being good sports because I, I I don't know what I think about this yet. <laughs> okay, so I, I don't have a fully formed thought or theology on this, but I've been thinking a lot um, with the whole Me Too and the Church Too movements and stuff that's happening in kind of the broader church. How is this connected to why the abortion conversation is so difficult? Because I do think there's a connection. Like, for example, we know that um, one of the reasons churches don't want to open the doors when women are facing unplanned pregnancy is, what about the sin of getting you know, having sex outside of marriage in the first place. And we have to kind of walk through that. I think this thing of how men and women relate in the church could even be like a deeper something going on. And I I look at you guys and I just think, I see a beautiful picture of you guys working together, a man and a woman, both in high level of leadership in your wheelhouse. And you've somehow figured out to work with respect with each other, valuing each other. Talk about that, because I do think if we could do that more, it would take some of the stigma off some of these conversations like abortion and other things that involve, you know, our gender and the gender differences. So I want to lob that out there and just see what you guys want to say. They're both pointing to each other, which I think is fantastic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, there's so many ways to answer that question, but maybe I'll just share personally. I do think so when I entered this role Four years ago, I was the only female working in an entirely male space, and um, and Tyler's who opened the door for that. Mm. And so I've watched other leaders throughout the nation now um, and how they lead. And one of the things I think was unique about what Tyler did was he really let me take on the leadership. He completely passed on the baton and let me become the leader of Surge. Mm -hmm. He didn't hold on or stay president um, and then supported me through that transition and so one of the things I've, I've thought about, over, especially over the last several years of the culture change we've experienced, as we have a lot of women um, present in our leader in our same leadership meetings that we had four years ago, um, there's just, and these gifted women have always been there, but there's just so much more partnership happening um, in really important ways, um, is as I've watched things play out nationally with Me Too or Church Too, and I've experienced my own brothers not having the right um, language or even having their own um, their own 
journey. Mm-hmm. And, and so even that first few years of experiencing a lot of hurt, um, we live, we keep talking about, we live in this call out culture where everything culturally would say, call that out. The relationship is done. Leave the table. And I think what's been so powerful as we've seen, um, women step into this space and just the humility of, of these pastors and Christian brothers mm-hmm. to, um, to apologize. You know, I remember, I think it was about a 15 months to two years in that I started to get calls from pastors who were like, Hey, I said this two years ago mm-hmm. and I'm really sorry. It's wow. actually kind of embarrassing now. Um, how he, the first time I ever heard that was so healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think it would have, I thought we were going to be a decade in before we started <laughs> right. hearing some of those things. Right. And just the, so even going back to this model of pro grace, that if the whole purpose of grace and mercy is for the purpose of reconciliation, mm-hmm. of bringing together something that's been broken and mm-hmm. shouldn't have been. And so what better way to, to model that in a leadership culture where um, we are experiencing brokenness on this topic alone, right. where there's brokenness, there has to be a willingness to stay at the table, um, as well as to see your own um, your own part, just to right. be constantly extending grace right. and to be also receiving grace mm-hmm. when you mess up. And so I think that that happening, not, not just between Tyler and I, but in congregations all over our city, um, I've just seen a maturing in Christ across the board. I've seen women grow in their emotional and spiritual health and their ability to um, take things just to allow things to be forgiven and not keep records of wrong and to, and to be bold. Mm -hmm. And I've seen our brothers just become, um, I'm just really proud of the pastors in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't know, that's kind of talking around it, but I do think, I don't, I don't think that you can really separate out this mod. When we talked about this at some point, like to be pro grace is not just about abortion. It's just about every relationship that you have in the church, there has to be this constant orientation to move towards that person, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. But. Yeah, I would, um, Danae started this way and I'll start this way as well. There's a lot of ways you can enter into this conversation mm-hmm. and every one of them is really important. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, and I think this is true even far outside the church, is that so there's, I'm going to use a big word and then okay. define it. The, right. the word forensics. So when people hear the word forensics, they think about crime scene. And it's, um, you know, if I'm in forensics, I go to a crime scene to determine what happened or what didn't happen. So the word forensics really is about right and wrong. So even in theology, there's a big terminology, forensic justification, which means how do you get declared right in God's sight? So I'm I'm just the word forensics if you think right and wrong for many people the center of their universe I would say for most people is based upon right and wrong even our political discourse mm-hmm. is all about who's right and who's wrong yeah. who's right and if that's the center of the universe then the only outcome of that is that you're constantly in fear and anxious mm-hmm. about am I right or am I wrong Now if the Bible's true Right and wrong aren't at the center of the universe. Love is. Like, God is love. God created the world. He upholds the world in himself, Colossians says. If love's at the heart of the universe and love sits over forensics, it doesn't mean right and wrong aren't aren't 
not just valid, massively important. Right. But if you take 1 Corinthians 13, it's love is all of these things that says love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it rejoices in truth. So forensics matters, but it sits under love. Mm. If love sits under right and wrong, you have a whole world that is, has been said in a book, an anxious age, because fear is, I'm constantly worried mm-hmm. about, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? And when you live like that, First John talks about that, is that fear is the inhibitor to love. In your terminology, grace. It, it, fear is always going to say, I can't engage that person mm-hmm. because what if something bad happens? And in the male-female conversation, it's so been couched, and there's so many bad examples on, well, if I mean, many men, like there's the the principle of don't meet with a woman because mm-hmm. it could end up leading to mm-hmm. sex, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody ever asked the question of like, why are we that broken right. that engaging right. 50% of the world's population right. could always lead to sex, right? right? Like, Thank you for and, saying that, yes. And so, <laughs> so at, the end of the, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's and there is brokenness. I'm not trying to yeah, say there isn't. No, I mean, right. there's examples right. that are all over the place right. at, at the end of this. But that begins to go... We, have, we live in a time and an age where everything is sexualized. So, mm-hmm. for instance, no one can be naked, like in any, even around your home, because it's like everything's sexualized. Well, not everything about nudity is sexual. Right. Like it's just our bodies, our right. human bodies in the midst of it. And so you have to begin to recognize that. And I do think an answer to that we that we have to begin to explore that's all over the Bible is the language of family. So mm-hmm. when you're around women, treat them, younger women, treat them like sisters, like older that. women, treat them like mothers. Yes. And this is just biblical wisdom. Right. And so at the end of the day, if we go, it's so hard for me to treat younger women like sisters because I'm constantly thinking about, may they be my spouse or worse yet, you know, would they end up liking me? Would I end up in bed mm-hmm. with them? Well, then immediately we need to train our people to go, well, you got to go inside yourself for a minute. You... I wouldn't even tell my daughter to marry a guy like that. Right. Like I would never go, you can't be in a relationship based around friendship. No good marriage is based just around sex. So right. the, just the sense of it's, it's a way deeper conversation, yes. but it has to be modeled in love, not just in fear. Yes. And so I think then my challenge to a lot of men, and I'll just talk man to man, would just be, well, just test it. Like get in an environment and don't freak out, you know? So go to coffee with a woman and just go by yourself. Well, what if that, that's not above reproach? Well, if sitting in a coffee shop with a, a woman is not above reproach, then <laughs> we, you can't work in the normal marketplace. Right. You can't like, right. it's not even reality. So at some point, you all these things that have been cast because of fear, like, yeah. well, maybe that people would think that you're on a lunch date with somebody. It's like, well, then let them think that because that's insane. Yes. Like, that's just crazy. Now, if somebody's going, I'm going to drive in a car and we're going to drive in the desert in the dark and we're going to end up in the desert, like, that's probably stupid, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right? And so, you, but you have these things that you're going, they're just not as hard as we try to make them. Right. Fear makes them way more complicated. In the Bible, and the Bible's given us a category, as Tyler said, for each other, and that's brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I think is at the heart of a lot of the church to me too is women expressing their pain publicly um, about past abuse. And there is nothing more healing than the very relationship God has set up to heal. When God created the church, he formed people who were experiencing incredible brokenness Mm -hmm. and past sexual abuse, physical abuse. Like there's all family split ups and divorces and the local church gets to be this place where you get to, um, to be the family that we're meant to be albeit imperfect and very broken, which we get to practice then forgiveness and Mm -hmm. repentance and confession 
and reconciliation all the time. And so when you talk, I think part of what, when I see women um, respond, which is such visceral anger to where the evangelical church is at, I think a lot of it is coming from their own pain Mm -hmm. and nothing is going to heal that apart from Christ, Mm -hmm. but Christ uses real people, brothers and sisters to help put salve on the wounds. And so when, um, for pastors to be, if they want a part of their vocation is to, um, to be shepherds under the good shepherd of Jesus, then there's so many cues to take from how Jesus was very intimately involved as a brother mm-hmm. to women in scripture. And, um, and again, I just think it comes back to how, how we, how we really, what lenses we have to view each other. And so for women, I would say women leaders, they're just, there has to be a willingness to, um, to rise above whether or not men are ready to have the coffee with you. Um, our identity needs to be so deeply formed in Christ and our, um, that, that we're able to respond in love, grace, and mercy no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that, I think we've seen that play out in really amazing ways here in the mm-hmm. Valley as both brothers and sisters yeah. have done that with each other. Well, and I, I can see why, because both of you immediately went to love and grace and, and appreciate you guys calling out fear and that perfect love casts out fear. And so really, I, I'm thankful that I asked you guys this question because you it can be, I think that anger place is easier to go to. The healing deeper place is harder. And that's where you guys have taken us. And I appreciate that because I was telling Danae in the car, we were in Africa and I, I love these African pastors. I'm not trying to say anything. They're doing amazing work. I'm not trying to denigrate what they're doing, but they kind of put the issue out there openly where it was eye opening for me where they were said, well, wait, if we open the doors to women who are pregnant like this and we're inviting them in our community, what if they try to seduce us? And I thought that was interesting that it was out there. I don't think it's out there that much here, but I do think there's something underground. And so I just want to thank you guys for everything that you said, both from a male perspective and a female, because it does start with all of us being centered in the love of Christ, understanding that we have grace for where we've messed up. And then going into these relationships without fear. That was really good. You look like you have other thoughts, Tyler. Yeah. So um, I have a good friend of mine in Denver that I think you know, Jay Pathak, that makes this point of if you turn every woman into a Jezebel, like the one that's constantly trying to seduce you, um, how problematic that is to all these other women. So now mm-hmm. you turn every woman into... It, a prostitute or somebody that's trying to seduce you, which is just not even true at all um, in the midst of it. And I just don't think the reality of you can't be seduced unless you allow yourself to be seduced. so good. So at some point you go, we have to tend to ourselves. And Danae has been incredible at this, of saying on this issue, how it reveals so much the need for deeper spiritual formation. So this sense of if you're in an environment and you're constantly, you're experiencing loneliness to such a degree that everything's sexualized for you, or that's Mm -hmm. a constant thing, then we need to train these people Mm -hmm. to bring their challenges into their prayer life and invite the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. into this, that, Lord, I need you to deal with me in this because I'm really lonely, I'm really insecure, and I'm trying to meet these needs in ways physically, and my mind's taking me to places, mm-hmm. and so train them to invite. Um, there's a great book, and it's uh, affected a prayer card of mine that talks about 
how you'd welcome and invite the problematic parts of you to a table, like the way Jesus says mm-hmm. to invite, um, to love your enemies and to even invite kind of the outcasts to the table. And basically you begin to take your weaknesses mm-hmm. and invite the Holy Spirit into them, but at a table. That if you so if you aren't willing to invite them and recognize them, you're going to constantly run from them in mm-hmm. fear all the time mm-hmm. and you're never going to get over it. But as you welcome them in and invite the Holy Spirit in. And so to me, We've got to recognize that the brokenness doesn't lie out there in the evil women, but it lies inside the the heart of every human being. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd also then say what it feels like sometimes to have been a woman growing up in the church. I remember Mm -hmm. a a teen mom at my school getting pregnant and can we have a baby shower for her? So Mm -hmm. I'm not quite that old. No, you're not. um, So and that even to use the, the imagery that Tyler just used, it, I remember feeling like a leper, like my presence disrupts. Um, because I'm a woman. I'm the only woman in this space. I'm st- I still end up mm-hmm. in these spaces. And, I, and, it, and so when you're in, I remember talking about with my husband and, and with Tyler and a few other pastors that sometimes it's like being in a furnace because this environment for so long has been one way. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you walk, so I remember walking around feeling like so hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. So if you grab a leper's arm, mm-hmm. it's going to be more painful. Yeah. There's open wounds. And so on the same end, I would say it's on us as women, no matter the environment, to find healing. So that, that, mm-hmm. that need for spiritual formation is the same on both ends. Us, yeah. And that's where it makes no sense from a world perspective, but that's, but Jesus meets us in the furnace. Yeah. And so I think we, I keep saying we need healed women mm-hmm. to be able to just, just to sit and mm-hmm. be part of these conversations, whether it's abortion, yeah. um, pressing in to the different challenges that the church has, um, with women. We need, we need healed women mm-hmm. because, um, and it's hard to heal in an environment that's not quite yet ready mm-hmm. to be a healing place. But I think God is using, men and women both pressing into their own stories, finding their own healing, finding a deeper communion with Christ in the midst of their brokenness to then model how we are to then be the family that God's called us to be. Mm -hmm. And I I really think that's one of the most evangelistic things we can do (laughs) is to be the family God's called us to be. Mm -hmm. And to let God heal us. And I, I think I grew up very legalistically. So when you're legalistic and worried about what God thinks about you, at least this is true for me, I had to point my finger at other marginalized groups, right? Because they're not as bad as me. And so I do think, you know, when we can deal with our own stuff and become healed, then we become the type of church that says, welcome women considering abortion, welcome, you know, any type of people. But I think if we just try to throw a program at it or, you know, that's why I love that you guys have gone deep with this perfect love casting out fear and it really does start with us experiencing the grace of God first and then we can extend it to others and that's what's going to change our churches so good any last comments this has been amazing yeah I'll just say one other thing that I have had on my mind that really influences is for us and um as I think about this a lot is Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, that we're to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. the language of the family language of Love. children of mm-hmm. God 
And when you look at how God leads people to repentance, so even in the end, if you go, well, there are people out there doing things we want them to change. Let's take the issue of abortion, for instance. We really want to see change take place. Well, then the question is, well, how does change take place? And the way God leads us to repentance is kindness. So it's by God's kindness that we're led to repentance. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to imitate God, the way we seek to lead people to repentance is kindness, not shame. Yeah. Oh, I love it. This is why I love spending time with you guys. Well, good. Thank you so much for being part of this. Love what you're doing here in Phoenix and being able to partner with you. Thank you. And everybody else, we'll see you next time. I hope that you're inspired to go out and have new conversations about abortion. Thanks. Thanks.